This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. McCard carrying Basing at this point. Ben Alomar, Director of Sports Analytics at ESPN. You stood next to Big Poppy be like, he's just one of us, man. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal and shows you a lot about the randomness of sports. Rick Peterson, longtime pitching coach for the major leagues. This is Warden Moneyball's post-game podcast. This is Cade Massey, host of Wharton Moneyball, and you're listening to our podcast. We air live on Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132, every Wednesday, 8 to 10 Eastern. Our first guest is with us now, and we couldn't be happier. It is Eric Winston. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Eric is the president of the NFL Players Association. He was unanimously elected to a third term in March of last year. He was a longtime player, 12 years in the NFL. He played tackle in the NFL. He was with the Texans, Chiefs, and Cardinals, and then finished up with the Bengals, I believe. That's right. He famously came out of West Texas. He, he was a tight end for Midland Lee High School out there in West Texas where they take football very seriously. They're next-door neighbors to Odessa Permian. Some of you guys right. may know them from the Friday Night Lights fame. Eric went to school at Miami. He joined the Coker regime when he first got down there, played a little tight end and then switched over to tackle. So, Eric, glad to have you. How is it? How busy a week is it for the president of the NFLPA? It's pretty busy. Um, we started uh, ground running really thir- Tuesday night, but yesterday we had a we had a busy day. We do a lot of programming with the players. One of my big initiatives is, hey, all these guys are going to be here. They're doing some autograph signings. They're doing appearances. They're going to some of the parties. Let's add some value for them. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, we've we've built up over the years uh, a lot of programming, and uh, and we've we've built on it, extended it through some of our commercial initiatives. Yesterday we had a thing called we call Pitch Day, where, uh, where small companies come in and pitch their ideas of why they should be uh, given a, a, a commercial license that we own. So think EA Sports, think Fanatics, think uh, Panini Trading Cards. So our face, our likeness, our numbers. What, how would that meld with your company? And so we had some startups come, kind of Shark Tank-ish type thing, and we, we judge them and and give a winner out, and, and they have some prizes. We give some money for some startups, but they also are, are able to get one of our licenses, uh, obviously through an equity trade. Uh, so that's been a, a, a business line that we've started up in the last two or three years that we're doing. We're trying to bring guys that are very interested in that sort of space, that venture space, that private equity space, the technology space, data, all of those things roll into there. Uh, and so we, we, we put on a big, uh, big thing yesterday, and then last night we have multiple dinners with media or then with former player parties today we have i just got out of a two three hour meeting with uh, with our executive committee and then now we go to our press conference and stopping here and talk to you guys before that and then tonight we have a uh, a party tonight with uh, a lot of our licensees so again those eas we have over 100 licensees that are licenses licensees of the pa and uh, that's how we generate revenue, and, and uh, we become self-sustaining through that. Well, tell us more about the, what the PA, what the association does for the players. And as, a, as an outsider, we know that you know every few years there's a big negotiation with the owners. Right. And but beyond that, most people don't know what the NFLPA does. So what does the what do the players get out of the association? Right. Well, in, in your simplest form, it, it's like every other union. We we bargain for the wages, hours, working conditions, and health and safety of our of our men, and that's. Uh, that doesn't stop at that big negotiation. Everybody hears about the CBA, whether it's every 10 years, 7 years, 5 years, however you do it. 
but there's constantly there's grievances there's constantly um, we're, we're looking out for them with uh, um, player protections in the health and safety space we're, we're activating them and doing different things again we have a for profit arm our players inc uh, goes out and, and we, we build up and, and get appearances for guys. We do a lot of things outside of that traditional union space mm-hmm. that, uh, that quite frankly takes up a lot of time, but we think adds a lot of value to these guys' career. And one of our big missions is we want you to get more out of football than football is going to get out of you. So who owns the player likenesses after they finish the career? They, they revert back to the players. So these are only active players. It's an active player union. Obviously, we have a former player chapter that, uh, that we still do things for. We still, um, uh, we, we still su- support. But uh, it's an active players union. So the, those likenesses will kind of revert. So back. if you want to uh, put together an electronic game that involves NFL players who have finished their career, you've got to go to them individually and get their permission. Yeah, now, don't get me wrong. We still have, obviously, the contacts there. We still right. are able to facilitate that. But... There are some uh, protections, and we've done some group things in that space, in the former player space, whether it's for apparel and jerseys, if you're thinking, you know, the, the 10 best running backs of all time, or again, you start thinking about all-time teams and EA or trading cards. We're able to uh, aggregate those guys much easier than whether the companies are or anybody else's. So, Eric, one of the things as, as professors that we think about when we teach is how much heterogeneity there is in the classroom. Not every student is the same. Well, I would imagine you're dealing with players where some may be in the NFL for a year. Some may be Tom Brady, who's 41 years old. How do you guys balance the needs of, wow, we want to get as much as we can for the top player, but at the end of the day, everybody that's in the NFL and plays should get some level of, let's call it, lifetime benefit. How do you do that balance? Yeah, 60, uh, 60%, over 60% of our guys are on minimum salaries. So, you know, you try to do as much as you can in the, in the right thing for as many people as possible. And then if something's going to, you know, you've got a guy, an outlier on one side that, hey, this rule's not going to benefit him or it could hurt him, we got to be able to then give that person an out in a, in a way to negotiate for if you're talking about contracts, you're talking about something else. But the one thing I think we try to stress to our guys and when you're talking about that revenue split between benefits and salary is you got a 100% chance of being a former player one day and you have a 100% chance of probably being hurt. You're not, not probably, but you do. So you got to make sure that you're covering yourself, not just now when you're 25, but when you're 45, you're 65. So there's been a, a huge emphasis on increasing benefits, making sure guys are, are, are financially solvent throughout their lifetime. And again, that football, that you get more out of football than football gets out of you. That there, There's going to be a trade-off there. And I think we all know that. And I think that's been pretty well publicized, especially in the health, health space the last 10 years. But there's a lot of things we can get out of football. And I think it's us up up to us at the union and in, and as individual players to make sure that trade-off's happening. Mm-hmm. Eric, we are an analytics show. We do analytics ourselves inside of football and outside of football. It's been exciting to see the emergence of this technology's player tracking data, and we've seen the power it has in other sports. This was the first year that NFL teams had full release of these data, but we know that it goes to some of the heart of the player um, union issues. Who owns the data? The, who's who? who what, what can be done? What information can be shared? So how are you guys thinking about that right now? And what are the prospects for this thing really taking root and growing within football? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think data is, is that, that undiscovered country right now, right? Like, what, is, what does that frontier look like and what are we talking about? And I think, as you guys know probably better than anybody, it What's happening now compared to next year is going to be like, man, we were really in the Stone Age. I mean, it is happening and exponentially multiplying that quickly. 
uh, when you were talking about the advances that are happening in data. I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind when we start talking about data is the players have to own their own data. To me, that's theirs. It, 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 it's just like any other medical rights or anything else. So just that to is, be that clear, the, just to be clear, the way data is used, as you know, one of the great things we have people talk to us all the time about this is for training. Right. And so the team puts a bunch of sensors on Eric Winston right. while he's playing, and you're saying that the team has to get the the players right to get that data because that would be a well, form of data it, where I, I cut Eric Winston it, yeah, because I'll I see. I'll take it a step further. It, okay. the, the player should have access and own it completely. And if he wants to give it to the team yeah, that's right. to discuss, then they can. The thing is, but there's too many times right now where a team will be like, well, I guess I'll let you come in and see it, but you can't take it with you. And we're not going to do that. Now, I will say that there is a difference in data, right? If I can watch you run 60 yards, that's a step. But that is a piece of data, right? I yeah, mean, that, absolutely. I, I, I don't probably own that, right? And I can probably put a stopwatch on it so I can figure out how fast you're running. But when we start talking about sleep, we're talking about yeah. heart rates. We're talking yeah. about blood pressure. Yeah. We're talking about how, you know, perspiration rates, things of that if nature. If you went to a doctor, you would own that data. Right. And someone you would, would and need exactly. the right and, to and, get and that if, data. And if the doctor went and then told somebody else, that's a HIPAA violation. So that's where I come out as there's a lot of cool and interesting and, and, and very beneficial things we can do with players, right. with data. But it has to start with this conversation of who owns it. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I'll tell you, like, it's not the teams. It's mm -hmm. the players. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me elaborate on that because I had an interesting conversation with a, a doctor whose expertise is sleep. And he knew a little bit about what the NFL had been doing with the sleep diagnostics, in particular some of the coaches. And he pointed out a very grave error that was being made. And that was assigning all the players the same protocol. And right. the reason why the, the, uh, the coach did that is that he was using the average. That was the right thing on average for players to be doing for preparation. The amount of the diet, the times they eat, the amount of sleep they did, the masks that they were being assigned to use to keep out, to, to make sure that they're, they're, they were peak performance at the right time. And what the doctor was telling me was that individual heterogeneity, heterogeneity is so much larger than the individual average, and that has to be worked in. So the players have to recognize that they're going to get this tracking and, and data about their heart rates, their, their sleep, their, but they have to share it with the team. Otherwise, they're going to get bad advice and won't work for them work on average, but for them individually. So it's like really, it's, they do own it and should own it, but they have to recognize that they're not going to get the benefit out of it unless their coaches and staff also have access to it and can assign programs for them that are tailored and individualized. Yeah, but and I agree with you in the sense of, but then those programs have to be followed, right? If the sleep pattern comes back and says, this guy shouldn't be practicing on Friday, that's the, coach, right. the coach can't then just go say, well, he still needs to practice Friday. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's my whole thing with this, this tracking data is, unfortunately, it's going in, and the decisions are being made by people that don't understand it. And you can have the data guy, you can have the statistician, you can have all those guys, but at the end of the day, that head coach who doesn't have any background in it is still making the decision for some reason. Mm. And that's where I come back to where, who's really making the decisions here and why should those people be the ones that own it? And that's, that's where I, I, I'm, I always base it on is that player should own it because he should be able to pick on, hey, I'm going to give it to him because I trust him and I know he's going to make the right decisions for me. Eric, what level of interest does the average player have in those data? You know, analysts are excited about it. Some people in training and strength and conditioning are excited about it, some less so. Yeah. Among the players, how would you characterize their interest? I would definitely say the new age players are very interested in it. I mean, I think they understand and they get it so much more than a lot of the older players because the older players didn't come up through it, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't come up in high school and, and, and all the things that colleges are doing now with it, quite mm -hmm. frankly. 
we didn't have that in college. So I, I think it's a, still a little bit more foreign to them. Mm-hmm. I think they think it's cool. But then tell me what I can do with it. And I, I still don't think that anybody can really say, hey, if I get all this data, I can tell you this about it. I can 100% tell you. Like, I, I, have, I have not seen that sort of level of sophistication. And that's just for the, that's because I think we haven't aggregated enough data, quite frankly. So when, when those things come out and we can do some more predictive things, we can tell people more about themselves, I think players will see more value in it and I think they'll want to use it more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Eric Winston. Eric is the president of the NFL Players Association. He's in his third term there after playing for 12 years with a variety of teams, Texans, Chiefs, Cardinals, and Bengals. We are doing a live special presentation down here from Radio Row in Atlanta in advance of the Super Bowl. Cade Massey hosting for the next two hours or so with my buddies Eric Bradlow and Adi Weiner. Eric Winston, Eric, um, how did you get involved? How did you decide to do this union representation thing? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a masochist, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, you know, when I, when I first went to Houston, there was a guy named Mark Bruner there who's well, a sure. longtime tight end, played in Pittsburgh, played down, and he was an executive committee member, which is pretty, it's a vice president. So he's, there's 10 vice presidents of the union, and he's one of the guys. And uh, he, he had taken me under his wing. He was a mentor of mine. He taught me how to be a professional, taught me how to work out, how to, how to prepare, how to get ready for practice. Where was this in your career? This is in Houston, my rookie year in your Houston. Your rookie year. So, okay. And one of the things, you know, when you're working out, you're having random conversations. I'd start, you know, hey, why do we do things this way? Or why is it this? You know, and eventually you say, hey, you, need, you should come to a meeting. You should come and, hey, Gene will be here. You should ask those questions. Or, hey, you need to come to the, the annual meeting. Ask those questions. Those are good questions to be asked. So he kind of pulled me in knowing that I was inquisitive, knowing that I was curious about what was going on, why it was going on, and how we could make it better. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of been my thing. And, and once I got there, I saw a bunch of like-minded guys that really wanted to look out for their fellow players and wanted to leave it a little bit better than they found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was very appealing to me. That was something that it was, a, it was kind of a brotherhood within a brotherhood, so to speak. You're in the mm-hmm. NFL, but now there's like another little brotherhood of guys that are trying to look out for their other brothers. And I, th- right. I thought that was awesome. So that was, that was my entrance in it. I went to the first meeting, and I was hooked. I was like, this is awesome. I, I want to be a part of this. I want to help. Since you started in the NFL, what have been the biggest changes you've seen in the use of data? Like, if we forget. Oh, so I mean, it's like. We only have a two-hour yeah, show. Maybe yeah. you could talk the I entire mean, time. Well, you just think of, like, the health and safety sensors, right? And you think of um, just well, tell, the Tell us about that. A lot of folks don't know what right. the health, health and safety sensors listen, are. Listen, I, I, my rookie year, ESPN was still playing You Got Jacked Up. Right. Remember the top 10, like the hardest hits. And of course, they were always blindside shots right to the cheek. I had a I had a a teammate that won it two two weeks in a row. And I don't think that's something you really want to win two weeks in a row. And now we have this thing where that those are those are those are fouls that you can't do that. You're taught not to do that, that your coach not to do that. So that's how far we've come in really a limited amount of time. Uh, And then on top of that, the. The, whether it's the sensors, the data the collection, and just the overall protocols that guys now are coming up with. Because the NFL's put it in, now it's in college. And because the college put it in, now it's in high school. Guys have a better understanding about what it means, what concussions mean, but what, also what their other health and safety and, and how their eating affects their playing and their overall uh, health viability. It, it's, it's totally different. The guy, the rookies coming in now have so much more knowledge and are so much more equipped to have a longer career and a longer lifespan than we were. It's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. You played for 12 years. How, how, what kind of injury pattern did you have, and how do you think you well, lasted that long? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, all the, it's, it's always a little bit of luck, right? You, I didn't, you know, that pile, it was piling up. I got out of there without, you know, getting rolled up too bad. I had, 
think I had six, seven surgeries, um, mostly scopes. I had a really okay. bad knee injury in college. Okay. Um, so again, you know, I call that lucky. <laughs> That's sort of mm-hmm. where we're coming at when we really talk about some of these things over 12 years and mm-hmm. both ankles, shoulders, elbows, that sort of things. But we're just talking about the quote unquote cleanups, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so these so weren't actual injuries. They were more just damage accrued over. Yeah. Damage accrued yet over. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. So it's something that, you know, I never missed a game because of an injury. Which is I'm I'm really proud of, amazing. but it's I'm also amazing. lucky of. I, I try to look at things a little differently. Uh, stretching and, and yoga were always a big priority of mine. Mm-hmm. When I hurt my knee really bad in uh, college, that was part of the program. Mm-hmm. When I got deeper into rehab, was yoga and like man, my back feels great after this, and wow. I feel pretty good. So I, I kept it in there, and I think that was a big part. I think uh, trying to learn more about health and eating right, I think that helps. But again. Some of it's luck. I think I was in a good system for it, the zone system, all of that. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't say there was one silver bullet, but making sure you're sleeping right, making sure you're stretching, making sure you're doing right, at least you give yourself a better probability, a better chance of staying healthy. All right. There's a, the, the intellectual version of that is to go to grad school. And something we haven't <laughs> mentioned yet is that you are in the Wharton Executive MBA program, which is just like our MBA program, yeah. just that you go every other weekend for two years. So yeah. you're working full time. But you drop into Philadelphia every other weekend yeah. and study. 5.30 flight tomorrow morning. Is that right? Yeah. My gosh. Even Super Bowl weekend. That's can't, right. Can't miss class, That's right. Can we reschedule this? <laughs> so what, in the short time you've been there, you know, six, six months or so, or nine months maybe, yeah. um, it, how has it changed the way you're thinking about your job? Oh, man, it's been great. That, that's been the one fun thing about this is that, you know, you get something, you get a piece of knowledge, and then you can immediately deploy it. Right. You can immediately, whether it's, hey, I'm looking over the financials of the union. Like, I, I understand reading those at such a deeper level and understanding what right. I'm looking at and how to read them and go about it. And, and just the way it's, you know, it's like Neo finally looking at the matrix. You're like, oh, okay. I, I see it now, that sort of thing. And then it, again, it, you're a lot of the guys there and myself we're all at different levels of hard skills, right? I mean, some guys come from an accounting background. Some guys come from an econ background. Whatever you come with, you're probably bringing some sort of skills. And mine might be a bigger learning curve than others since I haven't been in that traditional, some sort of business role in the last 12, 13 years. So for me, it's, it's been great. But I think the way they want you to think, the way they're teaching you to approach problems, to understand problems, understand, and come up with solutions is the real value there. I mean, a lot of guys can do equations, a lot of people, but how do you think about a problem, approach a problem, and solve it? That's something that I think has been really valuable and really special uh, about the program so far, and, and it gets me excited about going every weekend because of that. That's, that's great to hear. So I, I thought I, w- I was going to ask you how you're going to watch the Super Bowl, and what's that, what's that going to be like for you, but you're going to be studying, apparently. You're not going to no, be I'm around. I'm flying back. <laughs> you're flying back here on Sunday? So, yeah, I'm, it's late Saturday night. I'm coming back after uh, 48 hours of, of class. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to come back and, and do my regular thing, and um, yeah, it'll be fun. It's like, again, it, it, this is a long work week, but it's a great culmination of watching, uh, you know, I got a really good friend playing in the game. I was going to say, are you allowed to have preferences? I, I'm, I'm not, but <laughs> but you end if up. the Rams win, it won't be that, you know. <laughs> but I, listen, I, I played with a guy for a long time, Andrew Whitworth, who's a yeah. good buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, I just seeing him being able to have this kind of success and, and finally being able to win some playoff games and, and being able to play, he deserves he deserves a game like this. And, you know, both teams, when you're in a job like this, you get to know so many guys and you kind of root for them all. But I'll, I'll be rooting, maybe not for the team, but him pretty yep. specific. Yep. I'm yep. not just saying this because you're sitting here as a former lineman, but, I mean, isn't the game going to be won 
by the offensive line of one team or the other. Look, whoever can run the football, whoever can protect the quarterback, that's who's going to win the game the best. I mean, has the greatest chance of winning the game, right? right? I mean, I'm not just saying this because you're standing, but being, Listen, isn't that it? it? It's funny when you, you start talking about uh, franchise building and how you build a team and all of this. And, and I always say the, the formula is pretty simple. Find the quarterback, protect the quarterback, go get the other quarterback. Like, every good team is built that way. There's very few teams that end up getting good without that sort of formula. So uh, the Rams definitely have it. Uh, you got to give your hat. You got to tip your hat to the, with the Patriots. They don't have a lot of big names up front, but they're playing awfully well. As I said, finding, zero sacks given up against the number one sack team and in the NFL. Also finding ways to disrupt the quarterback too. That's another stat that's really hard to to quantify. Is hey, I'm making the guy throw on time, or I'm making him throw off the spot. It, you can't quantify that stuff, but it matters. It matters to the DBs, and it matters to the Yeah, we just talked about it on our show yesterday. We talked about a lot of people who want to measure just sacks. What about hurries? What about hits? What about making him move his feet in the pocket? So overall there's lots disruptions. Of, overall disruption is a great term. Eric, if you were a tackle on the New England Patriots line this week, and you're about to face that defensive line, like what would you be thinking about and yeah. doing this week? facing those guys i would tell my guards don't get hurt because i don't want to go down there and play <laughs> uh you know aaron donald and, and sue and and foul those guys are special players i mean they really are especially the, the the kind of success aaron donald is having um is 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 incredible when you think about the fact that it's very easy to just move the guard or move the center over to double team him, and he's still getting in there constantly he's still finding ways to disrupt you got to tip your hat to wade phillips and and bill johnson up front um, of, of moving him around and creating those matchups where he can win one-on-one and he can get more one-on-ones. But that's going to be the game, right? Can, can you disrupt Brady from the middle of the pocket? Uh, can you protect? Can you run the ball and keep uh, New England's defense kind of on their heels? And if you can do that, it's a way to win. That's a way to beat them. All right. Well, listen, it's be fun to watch. Um, Eric, we very much appreciate your taking time out of what I'm sure is a busy schedule down here. I know you're rushing in here and rushing out, but it was great to talk to you. Wish you the best with your work. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. That was Eric Winston, president of the NFL Players Association, longtime tackle in the NFL and an executive MBA at, at, at Wharton, University of Pennsylvania. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.